0: awesome. For any of you that have just come tonight, or if you've missed any of it, I've been talking about taking the limits off of God and using a lot of this from personal example. This is something God spoke to me January the 31st, 2002. And since then, it has revolutionized me and the ministry and made a a big, big difference, and I believe that every one of us limits what God can do in our life. We talked about we limit God because of ignorance, which comes primarily by us comparing ourselves with each other and just looking at kind of average and thinking we want to be an average person. God made all of us for something special, and so our ignorance of God's will for us limits what He can do in our life, and we need to quit comparing ourselves with other people. We need to uh, change our lifestyle, because Mark 4:19 talks about that the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and lust of other things, will choke the word of God. And so we've got to get to where we aren't busy. Psalms 46:10, "Be still and know that I am God." And it's going to take some seeking of the Lord and spending time with the Lord in order to begin to start getting His direction and taking the limits off of God. So we talked about that. Last night, I started talking about fear limits God. And we talked about a fear of change, a fear of the unknown, and a fear of failure. And we let these kind of fears paralyze us. And I used last night, I thought some powerful examples of those four lepers who were going to die if something didn't happen. And finally, they got smart enough to say, how long are we going to sit here till we die? Let's get up and do something. The worst that could happen to us is we die. And I tell you what, I think that is great wisdom. And there are people who are paralyzed from doing things and stepping out and following the direction of the Lord because they're afraid they're going to fail. Man, so what if you fail? It's not that big of a deal. Amen. Every person I've ever read about who is a great success also had great failures. You know, Babe Ruth was was one of the greatest uh, baseball players and stuff, but he struck out more. He also set all of the records for striking out and he would swing so hard, he would fall on the ground. He looked crazy, but he also set records. And it's a myth to think that you can just do everything perfectly. And if you are such a perfectionist that you just think you have to do it all perfectly, you're never gonna get anything done. You need to get over being afraid failure. This morning, we talked about a fear of man or persecution, what people are going to say. And the fear of man brings a snare. And I tell you, there's so many people that they have become codependent upon the approval of a mate, of family, friends, relative, church people. They just can't handle somebody criticizing them. And if you are the type of person that criticism just eat your lunch, well then you are gonna limit God. I can promise you, you will not accomplish what God wants you to do. If you become a godly leader, Satan is gonna see to it that there's criticism and rejection of you. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. If you aren't suffering persecution, it's because you aren't living godly. If you live godly, you will be persecuted. You will have people come against you. And if you are so bothered by people's rejection that it's going to keep you from saying or doing what God told you to do, you will limit God. So we talked about that. And then I also talked about a fear of success. With me, I've seen, I believe more people are destroyed by success than they are by adversity and hardship. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says that. And more people have been destroyed during times of prosperity than they ever have during times of adversity. If you go into church history, did you know that every time the church is persecuted, it flourishes? Every time the church is in a relative period of prosperity, it always goes into apostasy. And I believe that that's what we're seeing happen in this nation. Our nation has gotten to where it's just religious. It was started in Christian principles, but now the church is having minimal impact in our nation in a lot of ways. And I take no joy in saying this, but this is a post-Christian nation in many ways. Now, I'm not accepting that, and I'm not... Uh, you know, dooming us to that. I'm saying that I believe that God can still resurrect it and I'm doing everything I can to preach the word and to stand up and I still am hopeful and believing God for this nation. But I'm just saying that if you are paying attention, you can see that the prosperity of this nation has caused many people's hearts to wax, their love to wax cold. And it happens. It happens and so anyway those are the things we've already talked about and all these things limit god what i want to talk about tonight is the subject that if i had a week to teach on this i couldn't cover all of the things that god has shown me so this is going to be a lot of information and based on my interaction with people this is a lot of stuff that most people haven't thought of so this is going to be relatively new to you and uh, Lots of times when people are presented with a lot of new stuff all at once, they just basically will not accept it. It's like that's too much to accept. So uh, anyway, I just encourage you before I start sharing, not to throw this out until you give it a chance. Meditate on it. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And if you understand it, this could revolutionize your life. And I'm going to talk about the power of imagination And I'm also going to make a connection and show you that I believe what the scripture is calling imagination is your hope and how powerful this is in taking the limits off of God. First of all, let me just define some things. Imagination, according to the dictionary, means your ability to see something that is not real or present. That's what the dictionary defines imagination as. Your ability to see something that is not real or present. For instance, if I was to ask you how many uh, doors you have in your home, most of you have never sat down and counted the number of doors in your home. You don't have this piece of information just filed away. And yet every person in this place could tell me how many doors you have in your home. You know how you do it? You'd look at it. You have an image of the place you live in, in your mind. That's your imagination. And you could, tell, you could sit there and count the number of doors in your home. Many of you are doing that right now. <laughs> Some of you might say, well, I've only got one or two doors. It's easy to count. Well, let's say this. How many windows do you have in your home? Did you know you could do the same thing? You could go through every room in your house and count the windows And yet you aren't seeing it with your eyes, you're seeing it in your imagination. God created us with an imagination and you can't think without an imagination. An imagination is essential. If I was to ask you, how do you get from here to the airport? Did you know none of you are sitting here and with your physical eyes seeing things, but you would say, well, let's see, you go out here and you go to this first traffic store, you'd tell me how to get out the baseline road and then you'd tell me where well, you turn right at that light. How do you know it's right? Because you're looking at it. And then you'd say you go up here and if you, you turn left on the interstate 10 and you go up and it's exit so and so and it'll be signpost, and you're seeing this stuff. If you had never seen it, like for instance, to get from our office down to the interstate, I tell people that, let's see, you go, there's three lights, there's four if you count the fire station that is a uh, sometimes, you know, what do you call that, a temporary or emergency light. But there's four lights, and I'm counting them. And I say, you go down to the fourth right, and you take a ride right and do stuff. You know what that is? That's your imagination. You see things. You think in pictures. If I if I say an apple, everybody think of an apple. You aren't seeing A P P L E. You see an apple. You have a picture. And some of you'll picture a green apple or a red apple, and I could change your picture with words. Words paint pictures. And did you know what makes a person an effective communicator is if you can talk in a way that helps people to see what you're trying to describe. If all you're doing is just putting out facts and figures and if people can't see it, they'll lose it. Your memory functions off of an imagination. Uh, Let me just start with this verse over in, uh, I think it's 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and I'll show you this from scripture. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and in verse, uh, let me find the verse. Verse eighteen, O Lord God of, Israel, of of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people, and prepare their heart unto thee. This is David. He uh, was getting ready. He was close to dying, and he called all of the nation together, and they took up an offering to build the temple. And David gave of his own resources. He had already given like five point something billion dollars worth of gold and silver from the uh, treasuries of the nation. But out of his own personal bank account, he gave uh, one point something or two billion dollars. Dollars worth of gold towards the temple, and when he did, the rest of the nation rose up, and people were so touched by David giving that they started giving, and all together they took up over a five billion dollar offering. And they just began to start praising God, and he says, God, who are we? And he went back and recounted how they came out of Egypt and they used to be slaves, and who are we to give such a generous offering? All we did was take the blessing that you've already given unto us and given it back. And he was praising God that God had touched the people's hearts. And then he says, oh God, keep this forever in the imagination of their thoughts. What he's talking about is don't let them forget it. This is how you remember things. You can't remember anything you can't picture or imagine. I know I'm saying things that most of you haven't ever thought of, and so because of this, we don't use it. It's like this is something that functions in all of us, but you don't have a handle on it because you haven't understood it. If you can't understand it, you can't really use it. And um, most of us haven't effectively used an imagination, but this is how you remember things. I've used this example before that in Vietnam, we had water blivets, and this is how they brought our water to us. And most of you don't know what a water blivet is. You don't have a picture of it. And so because of it, I could say water blivet, and most of you might remember it for a short period of time in your short-term memory, but you won't remember it a year from now because you can't picture it. You don't know what it is. But I can use words to describe it. And they were they were rubber Uh, tubes, cylinders, and they had brass spigots on each end. A helicopter would bring them in. They came in 500 and 1,000 and 1,500 gallon sizes, and they'd bring in these big old water blivets and drop them off. We'd go get our water from them, and as you took the water out, the air would, the atmospheric pressure would compress, compress them, and when they got empty, they'd just be totally flat, and they'd come pick them up and carry them off. Now that may not present a perfect picture, but you know what? you got a picture now and you'd be able to remember water blivet because you have something that you can see. You don't remember just information. This is why so much education doesn't work. Like, for instance, mathematics. A good math teacher won't just say one plus one is two, two plus two is four, and make you remember things. They will give you illustrations. They'll say, all right, I've got two apples here. And if I put two more with it, how many is that? And they'll give you something that you can picture. You know, this is really simple stuff. But I'm just saying this because... An imagination, some people think, well, imagination is for kids. You go to Disneyland and you imagine stuff. It's fantasies, what a lot of people think imagination is. But you use imagination every single day of your life. You couldn't get to and from work if you didn't have a picture of where the turns are and what it looks like. You couldn't make a grocery list without an imagination. You know what you do? You, set, you start and you go and you're familiar with your grocery store and so you start down the whatever aisle, however you do it. And in your mind, you're walking down those aisles and thinking, what do I need? And you're looking at all of those things and thinking, do I need any of this and this? That's how you make a grocery list. Jamie and I went into England and in England, they think differently. They do things differently. And we went to the side of the store where in the States, they group certain foods together. In England, they don't do it the same way. And it took us, what, 30 minutes to find a bottle of water because they didn't put it with the sodas or with uh, whatever. They group it differently. And because of that, we had it pictured that it would be over here with these things and it was in a different place. You just don't realize how much you use an imagination, but you use it all of the time. You can't build anything without an imagination. That's why when they give you instructions, they will sit there and they'll tell you what to do, but then they'll have figure one. And they'll show you a picture because a picture is worth a thousand words. You can get things by pictures that you can't get by just words. Words paint pictures. And we've learned in dealing with our offices and other places that, you know what, when we really are having a problem and we've got to get something solved, you have to go look at a person and talk to them because like 70% of communication is nonverbal. I've been picking up on this. I remember we were watching some show and I just watched a person and I mean their eyes changed ever so slightly. They just kind of squint and it communicated. They said volumes without saying a word. And I was looking at that and thinking, it is amazing how much we perceive by sight and stuff that we don't even realize. But a lot of communication is nonverbal. So anyway, you use your imagination. This is not just fantasy and for kids. It, you use it every moment of every day. You do it all of the time. And the sad thing is, if you don't realize what you're doing and realize how important it is, you will let your imagination be turned against you to where all you see is negative things. Remember that the definition is something not real or present. Every example I've used is talking about something that isn't present, but something that you've seen and you're recalling it to your memory. But when it comes to vision, when it comes to having God give you direction for your life, you have to use your imagination to see those things come to pass. You have to see it on the inside before you see it on the outside. You know, an example of this, before I get right into some scriptures on it, an example is that I I heard a tape one time and this uh, pastor's wife had very poor eyesight. She had glasses that were so thick, they looked like the bottom of a Coke bottle. She was legally blind and she had had lots of people pray for her and she'd been disappointed so many times she didn't let people pray for her anymore. And they were having a healing evangelist come to her church And she didn't want this guy to pray for her because she didn't wanna be disappointed again. So she avoided him and finally he trapped her. And he says, I am gonna pray for you. And so he made her take her glasses off and then he laid hands on her and prayed for her. And when he got through, he says, now can you see? So this woman started to open her eyes and look and he said, shut your eyes. And she shut her eyes like, what are you doing? And he said, now can you see? So she started to open her eyes again. And he said, shut your eyes. And she shut her eyes. Wondering, how am I going to tell if I can see if I don't open my eyes? And so he said the third time, he says, now can you see? So she started to open her eyes. And he says, I didn't tell you to open your eyes. You've got to see yourself seeing before you can see. Can you see yourself seeing? Can you see yourself healed? So finally this woman understood what he was talking about and she just kept her eyes closed began to pray in the spirit and after a few minutes she says, I can see it, I'm healed. And he says, now open your eyes and she opened her eyes and she could see. And you know, we don't use that as much as we should. Many people will come and ask me, would you please pray for me? But they've never seen themselves healed. Matter of fact, one of the biggest problems, I told a couple of people here tonight who have been sick for a very long period of time I said, getting healed is not that hard. But what's hard is when you've been sick for a long, long time and you see yourself sick. You dream sick. You think sick. You plan your day around the pains and about the things that you can't do. And you have seen yourself sick. That's when it's hard to get a person healed. That's the reason that Jesus asked in Mark the ninth chapter, how long has it been since this boy was demon possessed? And it's not because he couldn't deal with it. He was dealing with the father and saying, you know, how long has it been? Because when something's been there a long time, you tend to see yourself that way. You have to change that image on the inside. Before I started seeing great miracles happen and people raised from the dead, I took John chapter 14 verse 12 that says Jesus was speaking and he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. And I took that passage of scripture and I began to meditate on it and then I turned to every example where Jesus healed somebody, specifically raised people from the dead and I began to study it and I would sit there and read it and get all of the information and then I'd close my Bible and close my eyes and I would see myself raising Lazarus from the dead. I saw myself raising the child at the city of Nain from the dead. I saw myself raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. Everything Jesus did, I saw it. I, I sat there and pictured what it would be like to stand at the tomb and say, take away the stone and then yell with a loud voice. I saw it. And this is how I studied the word and I did that for a long period of time and it got to where at night I would dream 20 and 30 times a night that I was raising people from the dead. You know what that is? That's your imagination. And as soon as I started doing that, boom, I saw a person raised from the dead. And then I went over 10 years, never saw a person raised from the dead and I just realized that, you know what? I did it one time, I can do it again. And I started taking those exact same things. I started dreaming that I was gonna see people raised from the dead and praise God, my son who's with us here got raised from the dead after being dead for five hours. And there is a connection between all of these things. You can can direct your imagination to be creative. Matter of fact, look at this in Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse three. I'm breaking right into the middle of some things, but it says thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him. Did you know that the word mind there is a Hebrew word that literally means a form or conception? And it's the same word that was translated in Genesis chapter... Uh, nine verse six, about four or five other times, imagination. It's talking about your imagination. Your imagination has to be stayed upon the Lord. Many people think, well, I'm trying to keep my mind stayed on the Lord, but are you keeping your imagination stayed on the Lord? Are you picturing what God's word says about you? There's people that say, for instance, in the area of healing, they'll be saying, by his stripes, I'm healed. In the name of Jesus, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. I'm going to live and not die. But it's just information. They haven't meditated on it to the point that they literally see themselves healed. They're sitting there fighting thoughts. Their mind is wandering and thinking about what's going to happen when I die. What kind of funeral are they going to have? Is anybody going to weep over me? How's this going to affect? And that's what you're thinking. You see yourself dead, but you have information and you're trying to live out of just knowledge. But knowledge has to become understanding. Look at this passage of scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse uh, 17, it says, uh, This has." say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Gentiles here is just talking about a non-believer, a person that's not in covenant with God. Don't walk like a lost man in the vanity of their mind. What is the vanity of your mind? I could spend a week. I spent literally one year meditating these verses. Didn't go anywhere except right here. I got a lot of great stuff out of this. So I I could go a lot deeper, but in a nutshell, the vanity of the mind means that you aren't using all that God has given you. Science tells us we use like 10% of our brain. I can guarantee you, we are not using everything that God's given us, and that's the way the lost people are. Christians need to start utilizing what God has given us, and this imagination is a powerful force. And don't be like the lost that only use their imagination to see negative things. A pessimist is a person with a very vivid imagination. They're just imagining all of the wrong things. They'll see a glass half full and they'll call it half empty. They will always see the wrong thing. That is your imagination. Your imagination has become vain. I'm talking as fast as I can. And, and for every point I'm making, I got a hundred scriptures I could give you. One of my favorite teachings is how to stay full of God. Romans chapter one, verse 21. And over there, it lists a progression of things. You don't glorify God. And if you aren't thankful, then your imagination becomes vain. If you aren't glorifying God, that means putting worth and value on him and constantly praising and thanking God for what you have. Your imagination will just default to seeing the negative side of everything. And this is the way that the world lives. The world just gravitates towards all the negative. I could spend an hour verifying this. Many of you remember the swine flu, the bird flu, and all of this stuff. And I was in England when the leading expert of the British healthcare care system, I heard him interviewed, and he said this out of his own mouth, I heard him say it, they said, do you believe that this avian flu is going to uh, mutate into some kind of a flu that the Uh, people can get. And he said, Oh, there's no question about it. It's just a matter of time. They said, well, what time are you talking about? He says it might be one year or two years maximum, but one third of the world population will die from the avian flu within two years. That was in 2007. And there has been a total of 12 people worldwide die from it. They burnt, we were in England. I'm sure Ashley and Carly can verify this. We were in England when they piled uh, cattle up by uh, big old machines that were, I don't know, 15, 20 feet high. And I saw the same thing with poultry and they burned them by the thousands. And you could see smoke going up all over the country from them doing this because of the great threat. And they prophesied that one third of the world would population would die. And then there was the, uh, this flu when everybody started wearing the mask, that's only been a couple of years ago. And they were saying that it would be a pandemic, which means not an epidemic means it's national pandemic means worldwide, worldwide, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people would die. And you know what that is? That's an imagination taking something that happened and picturing the worst case scenario. This is the way that the world lives Their imagination is vain because they don't put the proper honor on God. They don't glorify God. And their imagination just sees the worst of everything. And brothers and sisters, this is an epidemic. It's in a pandemic proportion in the body of Christ that people's imagination just gravitates towards the worst case scenario. People think it's logic to anticipate everything that could possibly go wrong and just think about it. But then they look at it as, well, you aren't a realist if you're just sitting here thinking about everything working out. You aren't dealing in reality. And they'll make fun of you. But your imagination can work for you or against you. And your imagination is a powerful force. In Genesis chapter 11 verse 6 is when the Lord came down to see the Tower of Babel and he said to the people there, he said, come, let us confuse their languages because the people are one, their speech is one, and now nothing that they have imagined will be restrained from them. Did you know God and his purposes here in the earth was actually challenged by the imagination of people? Nothing that they have imagined will be restrained to them. So he confused the languages to cause disunity and stop mankind from progressing and getting to a point where they could meet all of their own needs and not be dependent upon God. I, don't, I could spend a lot of time trying to do that, but I'm just trying to get across that imagination is powerful. If you can imagine it, you can do it. I could preach on that for an hour or two. I know many of you think that's not true, but it really is true. You know, right now we're sending signals through the air back there and it's being broadcast. Did you know, I don't know how many years ago, but not too many years ago, that was impossible. To think that you could send TV, to think that you could have a phone and carry it with you and just talk on a phone. Did you know, what was it, 10 or 15 years ago, people wouldn't have believed that mobile phones they had looked like a box and it had to be plugged into your car or something or you had to carry a backpack. Now they get them thin. Did you know things are happening that people wouldn't have believed? My mother was, she moved in a covered wagon when she was three years old and yet she saw the first car, the first telephone, first television Men walk on the moon all in one lifetime. Things are happening that people just dreamed of. But I can guarantee you, if you can imagine it, it can be done. There is a way to do it. It may take a lot of effort and accumulative effort, but it can be done. Our imagination is powerful. You know, I've built a deck. I've built a lot of things on my property I built a trail that goes all around our property so that I can walk. And you know what I do, I sit, I remember when I built our deck, I would put a bucket out there and turn it upside down, five gallon bucket. And I sat there for hours looking at nothing. But I was looking, trying to see what I wanted that deck to look like. And once I saw it, then I could do it. And I would sit there with a pen and paper and I'd sit there and count how many braces I need, how many beams I needed for that. And there wasn't anything to look at, but I was looking at it. I saw it, and I'd sit there and count them, and I'd write them down, and then I'd go buy the materials. This is why builders use a blueprint, because you have to be able to see it. And a blueprint helps you to imagine and see it. Sometimes you need a drawing or something. You know, we're we're dealing with building these buildings and my contractor, he's drawn things on napkins and showed me and I said, Oh, that's exactly what I want, or no, I want this. And I've had my builder make a comment to me. He says, You know, you can see things better than most people. Most people I have to actually produce the drawings before they can understand what I'm talking about. But I've learned how to use my imagination and I can sit there and with very little input I can see things. When we built the building that we're in right now, not the one we're going to build, but the one we're in, it was a 110,000 square foot building and only 10,000 square foot was occupiable. The rest of it was just open. And so I drew the plans. They were very crude, but I drew them and then we had an architect make official plans out of them, but I showed them where everything was and they went out and put um, duct tape on the floor where every wall was, where every door was, they would move the duct tape, you know, at an angle to show you that that's a door that opens. And I don't know how many hours, but I spent for 14 months, I would spend an average of two or three nights a week for 14 months up there praying an hour to two or three hours walking that area. And I never stepped over any of that duct tape because I was seeing a wall there. I would go over where the door was and I'd open the door and I'd walk in and I'd look around and I'd look at these things and that duct tape was helping me see it and I'd say, is this the way I want it to be? I put five gallon buckets upside down and plywood on top of it and I stood there in a dark room and preached and looked to see if I liked the way that the auditorium was set up and there was nothing there, (laughs) amen. But I saw it. And I, I don't know how to communicate this to people, but I saw it. And when we moved into that thing, everybody was praising God. No, oh, what a miracle this is. And I was just, you know, I'm always like this. <laughs> we went to Disney World and they take those pictures, you know, when you go over the top of the thing and they take the picture and everybody's ah like that. And You could have taken a picture of me right now and have stuck it into every one of those rides. <laughs> Everybody else was responding and I'm I'm just like this. I'm always like this. Sometimes my eyes might go like that, and that's about it, amen. But anyway, I'm just saying that I was at this dedication and I was just praising God and I had people come up. Aren't you excited? Well, yeah, I was excited, but I told him, I said, I was excited 14 months ago when I could see it and nobody else could see it. I said to me, this is anticlimactic to see it with my eyes. I can see with my heart better than I can see with my eyes. And did you know when we went to raising the money for that other building, the one that we're in now, uh, I waited, I forget the exact time, but it was at least three or four months to write anything to my partners and tell them about it. And I had staff saying, aren't you gonna say something? When are we gonna raise money? We're already in process. What are you gonna do? But you know, I I had to see it. And so what I did, I just prayed and said, Father, what do you want me to do? do And I just waited until I saw what God wanted me to do. And then I put that out and in one year's time, $3.2 million extra above our normal expenses came in and we paid for that debt-free because I waited until I saw it before I act. Most people will just react. They know they have a need, but they haven't waited. They haven't seen it. They've never seen themselves doing it. You've got to see yourself doing it. So let me relate all of this back to taking the limits off of God. God. That when the Lord spoke to me, I knew that God had told me that someday I'd have a ministry that would impact the entire world. I knew that I would take these truths about the grace of God and the goodness of God and impact the entire world with it. I believed it would have happened. But you know what? I couldn't see myself doing it. I didn't feel worthy to do it. I was afraid of the criticism that would come. I was afraid of the potential, like I was talking this morning, for getting lifted up with pride and changing and becoming different. I don't know how many of you have ever known some of the, you know, the, the, I don't know what you call them, the super dupers is what Wendell calls them. The movers and shakers. I've been blessed to minister with some of the most famous people in the body of Christ. And again, I'm not against anybody, but most of them, I look at them and think, you know what? Success has changed you. They used to love people. They used to be available to talk to people. They used to do things, but now they're on a different planet. And nobody can touch them. They'll lose their anointing. And they're just things about them I don't care. And I didn't want to be like that. And so anyway, because of this, I wouldn't let myself see me ministering and affecting large numbers of people. And you know what? When the Lord spoke to me, this is one of the main things I focused on. I had to change that image on the inside of me, I had to change me seeing what I was capable of. You know, my mother, uh, I just found this out right before she died. She died in 2009 at 96 years old. And before she died, we were talking, and my mother was a teacher, and so we got information that some of the other kids didn't get. And she was talking one time about my brother had an IQ of 166, which was higher than Einstein's IQ. He's absolutely brilliant. The guy's just smart, smart, smart. And uh, I asked my mother when she said that, I said, what's my IQ? And she says, well, yours is 86. You are just two points above an idiot. (laughs) And anyway, I was mentioning this to my mother not long before she died, and she said, that's not true. I said, you told me, I can tell you exactly where we were when you said it. She says, I must have been kidding. But you know, I grew up my whole life thinking I'm two points above an idiot. I always made straight A's in school. I didn't didn't struggle with it. It's not like I was wounded for life, but I just... That was just a piece of information I had. And because of it, it formed an image on the inside of me of what I was capable of doing and stuff. And because, you know what? I formed an opinion, and that formed an image of me and of my limitations that I had to overcome. My brother was a mechanic. When he was 14 years old, he took a car apart down to the last bolt the motor. I mean everything, took it apart and put it back together just to see if he could do it. And because of it, he's always been a super mechanic and he tried to teach me these things. He's four and a half years older than me and he tried to teach me these things and I didn't want to, you know, be just like my brother. So I rebelled and went the other way. As a result, man, I can barely screw a nut on a bolt. But you know what? When I got turned on to the Lord, I started saying I can do all things. And I started working on cars and fixing things and praying in tongues, not having a clue what I was doing, but just saying I know I can do it. And I changed that image that I had on the inside of me. And today I'm at a place, I believe I could do anything I need to do. Now, whether I should do it, and devote the time to it and take my attention away from what God told me to do is a separate thing. But I've really renewed myself and I can see myself doing anything. You could put me, I'm, I'm like a cork. You could take me to the bottom of the ocean and I'd rise again. I am going to prosper. I will, pro- and I've renewed myself, but it's through my imagination. I've seen myself doing it. I remember as a teenager studying about David fighting Goliath and I went out and drew a line on a tree at our house that was nine foot six, which is what the commentaries say that Goliath was. And I drew that line and then I bent down some because David was only supposed to be five foot tall and I stood there and looked at that line so I could help see what happened. So that my imagination could see it, I could picture it. And because of it, the story of David has impacted me more than it has other people because I've meditated on it until I can see it. When I went to Israel, people talk about they get an epiphany every time they go to Israel and and they say it's because, oh, this is where Jesus walked. Because there's a special anointing. That's not it at all. You know why going to Israel changes your life? Because all of a sudden things that you tried to picture in your mind and you probably didn't have a very clear picture, all of a sudden now you see the tomb. And you can see it and it becomes more real to you and it has more of an impact on you. That's why going to places like that affect you so much is because it affects your imagination. Are you still in Ephesians chapter 4? I didn't get to the scripture I was going to. But it's, you need to quit walking in the vanity of your mind. And then verse 18 says, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. This word for understanding here is the Greek word deanoia. It's a compound word. And it's the exact same word that's used in Luke chapter one, verse 51, where it talks about the Lord scattering the ungodly in the imagination Of their heart. This same word was translated imagination. And it literally, the word dianoia means thought, but specifically deep thought. In other words, there's a difference in just thinking about things on the surface and having a deep thought or understanding. A person can get information, and information won't change your life until you understand it. This is what the scripture says in. Matthew chapter uh, 13 verse 19, I believe it is, where he's given the parable of the sower sowing the seed. And he said, this first type is the people who do not understand the word. Satan comes immediately and steals the word from them. Understanding is where the seed gets below the surface and down on the inside. It's deep thought. And that is your imagination. You cannot understand something if you can't Picture it and see it and see yourself doing it. And so many people take a scripture about my God supplies all of my needs. You have that piece of information, but you haven't meditated on it until you see yourself prosperous. You talk and talk about, well, those rich people. And by you saying that, you have just exempted yourself from ever being rich. You can't see yourself rich. And as a result, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're going to have to sit down and instead of thinking about, man, where's the next blue, blue light special? You're going to have to start thinking about, I can pay anything I want to pay. You're going to have to change the way you see yourself and your ability to do things. You're going to have to take the word and get beyond just a surface level and get into deep thought. That's when... Once your imagination begins to work, go back to the original definition I gave. It means conception. That's one of the definitions of the Hebrew word for imagination in Genesis chapter six, verse nine and Isaiah 26, three. It means conception. Your imagination is your spiritual womb. It's where you conceive. If you can't, conceive it, if you can't get it in your imagination, it won't come. Babies don't come by the stork. You got to sow a seed in a womb. And likewise in the spiritual realm, miracles don't come by you being desperate, by you having a need. And I'm sincere. What does God take? It takes a conception. And that conception takes place in your imagination. And most of us don't have enough time to spend with God to allow the Word of God to take root, which another teaching you could bring right into this is meditation. This is what meditation is. you got to study the Word and get the information, but then you need to close the book and meditate until you see those truths in your life, until you see yourself set free by what God says, until you see yourself like the apostle Paul able to do this, until you see yourself doing what Jesus did. All of that's your imagination. And very few people use that. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. And man, I'm talking fast. I'm wearing myself out. I'm saying a lot, but let me just say this. If all of these things I'm saying is true, and there's many, many other scriptures that I haven't been able to turn to. If all of this is true, if your imagination is all of this powerful, and if that's where you can see, then how come all but one reference in the Bible to imagination is negative, The only positive reference is the one I quoted in 1st Chronicles 29:18 where David prayed Lord keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of their heart and that was a positive thing everything else it says God saw the imagination of men's hearts that it was evil continually 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, "...the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God." And every reference to imagination is bad except one. And I got to thinking, God, if this is true, well, then how come it doesn't talk about all of these positive parts? of Imagination. Look at this verse in Romans chapter 8, and in verse 23 it says, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, or that is, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? What's the definition of an imagination? the ability to see something not real or present. Hope is seeing things that can't be seen. And all of a sudden, the Lord just showed me that hope is what the Bible calls a positive imagination. And this opens up a brand new area that we could spend days and days talking about hope. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith gives substance to hope, but hope has to exist. If there is no hope, faith can't bring it to pass. Many people are saying, I'm believing God for a healing, but have you ever seen yourself healed? Your faith can't make it come to pass until you've got it in your imagination and you see it. Hope is like a thermostat. I heard a story, Charles Capps told a story about a old country guy that came out of the woods to a meeting and he was sitting in a church service and it started to get hot and he was fanning himself. And the usher walks up and touches this little thing on the wall. And all of a sudden he starts feeling cool air and he thinks this is awesome. So he goes up to that usher and he says, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. What was that thing that you touched on the wall? And he says, well, it's a thermostat." And he says, can anybody have a thermostat? He says, you can get a thermostat at any hardware store. So this guy goes into a hardware store, buys a thermostat, goes back to his shack in the woods, starts getting hot, he puts it on the wall and he turns that thing and doesn't feel a thing. And it's all discouraged because it didn't work. The thermostat doesn't make things cold, but the thermostat activates the power unit, which is faith that makes it work. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And there's many people just trying to use their power unit to do something, but they don't have any hope. Hope is what controls faith. If you ever get a strong hope, if you ever take the word and meditate on it until you see yourself well, every cell in your body will work to make you well. Every word that you have will be corresponding to that. Once you see yourself well, you will see yourself well. You know, uh, my cash down here, I mentioned he's the one that's on our testimony and he had this cancer, a huge cancer, about the size of both fists for eight years and tentacles going out through his chest. And was down to where, I mean, it was just a terrible situation. But he got hold of the Word and he saw himself healed. And I remember Caroline on the DVD saying that with Mike, it just became a non-issue. She was still having to change the dressings and look at this thing every day. But with Mike, it's just like he didn't care what it looked like. He saw himself healed. And he didn't worry about it anymore. It became a non-issue. And within six months or so, the thing was totally gone. And here he is healthy and healed and alive today. And it wasn't the doctors that cut it out. It wasn't some natural thing. I'm not against any of that stuff, but I'm just saying it wasn't something else. It was him seeing himself healed. And when he really saw it to where it became more real to him than what he could see with his eyes, he was healed. You can see with your heart. God made Adam and Eve so that they walked by faith and not by sight. And then all of their descendants born in sin have walked by sight and not by faith. But then in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul said, we walk by faith and not by sight. Christians are again supposed to be able to walk with our imagination painting such a real picture that we we go by what the word says and the realities of the word more than what we see with our physical eyes. You can do that. I know some of you think you're weird. <laughs> well, I think you're weird. <laughs> I think I'm getting more normal all the time. You're the one that's weird. If you just go by what you see with your physical eyes and what you hear the doctors say and the bankers say, you're the one. It's weird. You got God Almighty living on the inside of you and this supernatural power and you aren't drawing on that. Instead, you are limiting what God can do to just what you see, taste, hear, smell and feel. That's substandard. And again, just based on the people I've talked to here at this meeting, I'm not against you. I'm saying these things to help you. But I've had so many people come up and ask me to pray, but you have never seen yourself well. You could quote the scripture that by his stripes I am healed. You know what the word says, but you see yourself sick. You plan sick. You think sick. You dream sick. And yet you want healing. Most people do not understand what I'm saying. And I'm telling you, if you're going to take the limits off of God, you're going to have to get to where you understand that you, through the Word of God, can see things that God tells you to do. You can see it working in your life. And if you ever see it in your imagination, I guarantee you, it will come to pass. You will conceive it and you will give birth to a miracle. But most Christians are waiting for the stork to bring their miracle. You're wanting to come up here and get your baby through me. You want me to lay hands on you and you get healed because I've done all of these things. You know, it can come that way. You can have a surrogate birth. And it does happen. But that's not the normal way. It's abnormal. It is true that certain people can lay hands on you and you can get healed, but that is not normal and that is not the way God meant it to be. Every one of you have an imagination that is so powerful that if you can understand these things and begin to cooperate and spend time and let the Word of God paint things, you could get to where you see things on the inside. You become spiritually pregnant and it's just a matter of time until you give birth. It will happen. You need to meditate on these things. You know, one last example. This is a little bit off topic, but it is an illustration of what I'm talking about. But we held a meeting for our Bible college and this has been, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. And there was two or 300 people there for a weekend coming to check out the Bible college. And Jamie was up here worshiping the Lord and singing hallelujah. And I mean, it was just powerful. The presence of the Lord was awesome and I, there was a center aisle here and I was sitting in a position right there like on this side of the aisle and over here, it was in a hotel, there were double doors over here and while we were worshiping the Lord, I had my eyes closed in my imagination is what it ought I just saw Jesus open those doors, just fling those doors open like that. They just flew open and then he stepped inside and stood in front of them and the doors closed real slowly behind him And then there was these two ladies from our Chicago school over here on this side, close to those doors. And I had my eyes closed, but in my heart, in my imagination, I just saw Jesus walk over and touch one on the head. And I mean, boom, she just fell flat of her face, spread eagle like this, worshiping the Lord. And then he skipped two people. And he walked over and touched that second woman and that woman hit her knees like this and put her hands up and just began to worship the Lord. And what I was seeing in my imagination was so real to me that I opened up my physical eyes to see if I could see what I was seeing. And when I opened my eyes, those doors just wham like that flew open and nobody was there. And then they just slowly closed. And then I kept looking and that first woman just fell flat of her face, boom, like that and worshiped the Lord. And then two people down, the next woman hit her knees. Everything I saw in my imagination, in my heart, I was seeing with my physical eyes, except I was only seeing the physical results. I couldn't see Jesus. I could actually see better with my imagination than I could see with my eyes. So you know what I did? I closed my eyes and I saw Jesus come over and talk to me and say some things to me. And then he walked down that center aisle and started speaking to people. And I knew every one of them. And after the service was over, I went up and I just said, what happened during that service? And they'd start telling me what Jesus said to them. And it was exactly what I heard him say to them. And yet I didn't hear it with my ears. I didn't see it with my eyes, but I saw it with my heart. Did you know that that is not weird? That's normal Christian life. That we could hear God speak things to us. That you could take a truth and meditate on it until you see it. I meditated on John 14, 12 until I saw myself raising people from the dead. I dreamed about it and then I saw it. I have seen myself operating in words of knowledge and calling out people's names that I've never seen before and tell them what their name is. I saw it on the inside, and then I saw it on the outside, and I've done that. And everything I've ever seen in the physical, I first of all had to see it in the spiritual. I had to see it in my imagination. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, this is why so many of you in here have unfulfilled desires and prayers You may know that God wants to prosper you, heal you, use you, bless you, or whatever. You have the information, but you have never let yourself just sit down and daydream. You could call it whatever you want, but you've never taken the word and meditated until you see it. It's not a reality to you. And I'm telling you, that's your spiritual womb. Until you conceive it, you aren't going to give birth to a miracle. You're going to have to come and get your miracle, let somebody else bring it to term and produce it. And that's not the way that God wants you to live. This imagination is a powerful, powerful force, but it has to be worked. It has to be done intentionally. If you just let it work naturally you'll wind up being vain in your imaginations. Again, Romans one twenty one. If you don't give honor and glory to God and if you aren't thankful, then your, your imagination will become vain and your foolish heart will be darkened. If you're still in Ephesians 4.18, the last part of that says that their understanding is darkened. They're alienated from the life of God because of the darkness of their heart. Your understanding, your imagination... Turns the light on or off in your life. And if you don't intentionally go in this direction, it will just automatically become dark. You'll see yourself failing. You'll come up with statements like, if I wash my car, I know it's going to rain. That's an expression of that you're cursed. Nothing ever works for you. You'll get to where, well, I never win anything. You know, if I touch it, it'll turn to dirt. All of those are an expression of a negative imagination, a vain imagination. And this is what it goes to unless you take the Word of God and intentionally start training your imagination. It's like a muscle. A muscle doesn't just, if you just sit there and never use it, it's not going to get stronger and bigger. It'll atrophy. It'll go away. Everything good. You don't catch health. You catch sickness. You don't just sit there and become buff, you sit there and become a couch potato. Everything in this natural world goes from good to bad unless you make an effort to change it, you have to take these things and intentionally start seeing and recognizing the power of conception and imagination and hope. And you need to start hoping. If you go to a doctor, one of the first things they're going to do is tell you every negative thing that they possibly can because they don't want to get your hopes up. That's the worst thing that can happen. You ought to get your hopes up. You ought to have your hope go through the roof because it's only what you hope for that your faith can produce. But because of liability issues, they'll tell you the worst case scenario and then if it comes out better, they're clean. It's all selfish, but it is not helping you. I guarantee you, you need to get your hopes up. Somebody's afraid, but my hopes might be dashed. Well, let them be dashed. But hope, hope is a powerful force. It's a positive imagination. And I guarantee you, if you can imagine it, if you can see it on the inside, you can see it on the outside. I tell you, I've given you something tonight. If you understand and receive it, this is priceless. This could transform your life. Very, very, very few Christians Understand this, and even less, apply it and use it. But I promise you, this would change your life. Have you got a need? Go to the Word. Find the answer to your need. Take those scriptures and meditate on it. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, that we are born again, not of corruptible seed, But of incorruptible seed, the word of God that lives and abides forever. The word is a seed. Take that seed, plant it in your spiritual womb, your imagination, until you can see it. That's when it germinates. The moment you see it, that seed has germinated. And it's just a matter of time until you see the birth. That is a recipe for victory for every one of you. And yet the average person doesn't do that. They'll listen to all of the doubt and the unbelief. They'll go get 10 doctors to tell them they're going to die. And then they'll come back and says, oh, Jesus, please heal me. And they know more about what the doctors have to say than what the word has to say. I'll say, what scripture are you standing on? Well, is it the New Testament or the Old Testament? It says by stripes we're healed, something like that. You have to have a little bit more of a relationship with the Word of God than that. It's like if you want to get pregnant in the natural realm, if you're a woman, you can't just stand next to a man and say, I I think he's in the room someplace, (laughs) amen. You're going to have a little bit of relationship with him in order to get pregnant. Likewise, you just can't say, well, I know that the Word says somewhere. You have to have intercourse, interaction with the Word of God to where it becomes alive and real to you. And when you conceive, then you will get it. And yet very few people will do this because it would interfere with your television schedule. And so you'll just pray and beg and plead and fast one week out of the month instead of just every day live in the presence of God. That's not the way it works. I tell you, this could really, really help you. This could change your life if you understand it and apply it. Father, I thank you for these truths. And I ask you for my brothers and sisters that the Holy Spirit would take all of these things that I've said and put them together, apply them directly to their situation and that people would begin to start doing this and letting themselves see the truths of what God's Word says about them become reality. See themselves doing what you've put in their heart. See these things. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I believe it's coming to pass. We agree and we receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.